We begin with a conversation with Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. We hear Dr. Hinshaw's views on the controversial topic of social distancing in classrooms in an exclusive interview with Global Edmonton's Julia Wong. Next, an update on homelessness in our city. We speak with Chaz Smith of Be The Change YYC on the continued challenges facing Calgary's homeless population during the pandemic and as we move into winter. Do you have some ideas on how to make our city a better place? We catch up with Ward 3 City Councillor Jody Gondek with some information on opportunities open to citizens on over 20 boards, commissions and committees. And finally, we speak to the co-host of the History Channel's brand new show, Eating History. And a word of caution, it may just cause you to lose your appetite. 609 now. And it is, yes, back to school week for Alberta students. Thousands of families making the decision to keep their children home this year, while thousands more are flocking back to the classroom. There's been much discussion about the inability to socially distance kids in the classroom and about masking children while they're at school. And last weekend, controversy erupted and confusion when Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, released a statement about Order 33 that seemed to go against what health officials and the province have been saying along that physical distancing measures do not need to be in place if a student, staff member or visitor is seated at a desk or table. So yesterday, Dr. Dina Hinshaw sat down for an exclusive one-on-one interview with Global Edmonton's Julia Wong and we wanted to play a portion of that for you. So here you go. Nothing has been as controversial as the return of students to school in Alberta. There was a lot of confusion yesterday about the order that was posted, which you say formalized what you've been saying for weeks about kids in classrooms. However, how do we reconcile what you've been telling Albertans for months now about the importance of staying two meters apart with how it's okay for students to not be two meters apart when they're in the classroom and when they have to wear masks if they go to places like grocery stores and on transit, schools appear to be an exception. So how come the messaging is inconsistent? I want to be really clear that distancing is not optional in all places and schools and distancing is an important part of the back to school plan. One of the things that we made a decision on and and the policy that was announced in early August and the guidance that was produced a few weeks after that and posted online clarified that the requirements for two meter distancing in schools while uh, students and staff are together was uh, that two meters is optimal and that in a classroom, recognizing that it may not be possible for two meters to be the the desks may need to be closer than two meters apart, that when we looked at that and we looked at our masking guidance, we recognized that masking could potentially have impacts on communication for students, could have impacts on learning. And as we were looking at that province-wide policy that had to apply again in all areas of the province, we wanted to strike that balance between supporting safety for students and uh, making sure that we were minimizing COVID risk while at the same time leaving options for students so that their communication, that their learning could be supported. And so there are only, uh, there's only just the one exception. It's not, it's not widespread. And the exception is if students are seated, so they're not moving around, they're not interacting in a, in a dynamic way. So if they're seated, if their desks are spaced as far apart as possible, and if they're not facing each other, then recognizing that there are other pieces in place for mitigating the risk of back to school, such as daily symptom screening, making sure that uh, students are cohorted, ensuring that surfaces are cleaned, all of those pieces together, that we felt that the risk was acceptable in that particular context 
so as to support the important aspect of student learning and supporting their whole health. It's really important to remember that masks are just one additional layer and uh, each of those layers works together to form a comprehensive whole in terms of that protection from COVID. On that note, though, I imagine that many parents, you know, taking in what's happened over the last few days will think that the messaging just seems to be conflicting. So how do you massage those feelings? First of all, I want to say that I really regret any anxiety or confusion that happened because of the timing of that order coming out. And I recognize that it would have been better if we'd been able to finalize it earlier and have it released during the week where we could have spoken proactively about it and mitigated some of the confusion that happened by releasing it with the timing that we did. And I feel for parents who are feeling anxious and feeling that this messaging uh, at this time causes confusion and anxiety. What we do know though, is that there are places that have gone back to school with uh, adjusted distancing requirements for students and they haven't seen widespread transmission. I mentioned uh, earlier this week that in Scotland, there was an explicit decision to not require any distancing between students and classrooms. We have not gone that far down the road. We do think distancing is important, uh, but we know that in places like uh, Sweden with elementary schools and Switzerland, in some examples, they have not seen widespread transmission when distancing, particularly in those younger grades, uh, has been an optional element. So we've also seen places like Israel where they did have transmission in places where, um, in a couple of particular schools where they weren't enforcing distancing, they weren't enforcing masking. And so I, I think, again, it's the combination of all of our protocols that are going to help keep students and teachers safe. But at the same time, we need to recognize that we need to support our, our children's overall health and well-being. And returning to school is an important part of that. And so we, we need to be looking at all the risks that our children face, not just the COVID risk, and making sure that they have access to that learning and communication environment that helps them to get the best possible experience, while at the same time, minimizing that risk of COVID. Has the government made any decisions that you do not agree with? It's important, again, to recognize that my advice has always been respectfully considered. I have always felt like my advice has been listened to and that in the debates that have happened and the discussions that have happened, uh, you know, I, I don't have a monopoly on, on truth. Uh, so I would say that I've always felt respected. I've always felt that I can make recommendations freely and they've always been considered and integrated into a final decision. Oh man, I tell you, she can talk about anything. And uh, I appreciate having somebody like Dina Hinshaw who I, I did not know who Dr. Dina Hinshaw was before the pandemic. I don't think anybody did. Here's she our, really has been a voice of reason through all this. Who, who have uh, the previous chief medical officers, <laughs> officers of health been in our province? What a, what a different role. You take this role on not expecting a pandemic. She has been thrust. She has dealt with it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure her f- family time and free time is what? nil. free time? Um, and uh, it, it's tough to answer these questions when, you know, the fingers are pointed after a release on the weekend that some people thought was, you know, kind of a, 
cloaking it. Yeah. And saying Hi, sort of hiding it and, and sneaking it out on the weekend when when she, in fact, says that's not the case yeah. and, and that she won't ever do that again. It will always come out Monday to Friday. But she does work at the pleasure of the government. She is, the, you know, she, they ultimately have the the answer and the yeah. say in what message comes out. Well, we've seen some places in the world and you look down to the USA where you're not listening to the top healthcare professionals. And one of the things, yeah, but we listen to Dr. Teresa Tam quite a bit across the nation. Uh, but the approach we've taken is to let the provinces have their direction in between Bonnie Henry out west and Dr. Dina Hinshaw. I think that, uh, you know, we've done we've done pretty good, and I, I think we're lucky to have her. I think so, I too. I would not want to do that job. Nope. And again, that interview was set up by Alberta health officials to allow Dr. Hinshaw to further clarify the health order she did sign over the weekend that led to some online backlash. So if you want to listen to the full interview, it is up on our website at 770chqr.ca. Right now, 617, it's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Main streets highlight 20-foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths. Crowchild Trail is currently a 10-minute drive southbound from Stony Trail towards the Bow River. Northbound lanes are doing okay as well if you're heading up into the northwest. Just watch out for that right lane closure at 24th Avenue by the University. That's to help accommodate construction. 16th Avenue through the northwest, a problem-free drive all the way out to the Foothills Hospital. There is that ongoing construction, though, at Stony Trail that may cause a slight slowdown. But if you are exiting off onto Sarcy Trail uh, into the southwest, that's a smooth drive down towards the Glenmore Trail, Sarcy Trail uh, construction zone. Introducing be well wellness rewarded this friday to sunday get 25 times the be well points when you spend 20 dollars at rexall visit rexall.ca for details for the 770 chqr traffic helicopter i'm brady howard Seven oh nine now. Early in the pandemic, the team at Be the Change YYC advocated for more shelter spaces for people experiencing homelessness. What was the response from Calgary, and how are things looking with winter now fast approaching? To talk about it, we're joined this morning by the president and CEO of Be the Change YYC, Chaz Smith. Hi, Chaz. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. So let's just kind of go back to the pandemic. And, and ha- I know there was you were asking for a lot of help because there were a lot of people who are homeless in our city and they didn't even want to go to the shelters because they were so crammed in there. How did that kind of go through the past few months and, and how are you feeling as we come out of this pandemic? So we still have a large majority of people experiencing homelessness that are uh, sleeping outside for fears of COVID. I know that um, public health as well has only instated uh, a one meter of social distancing inside of shelters throughout the pandemic. So there's been consistently some concerns over why it's one meter instead of two meters like the rest of us have had to follow. Let's talk about the fact that, you know, during the pandemic, businesses, uh, they could uh, send people at home to work. Others would, you know, do online options, curbside pickup when it came to, you know, stores and such. Uh, But being homeless, there were absolutely no options. You either go into the shelter or you, you know, stay out. So I guess guess that this underscores that, you know, when it comes to uh, anything in, in society, and I know that we've talked to you around the holiday season, homelessness is 365 days a year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, ultimately, housing is the solution to homelessness. Uh, All the clients that I interact with, uh, they just want to be housed and they want to be able to afford that housing. Jess, do you know numbers uh, sort of currently what we're at in terms of those that are living on the streets in our city? So there's no recent point in time count, but the most current one indicates about 3,000 homeless individuals on any given day. 
Wow, incredible. Be the change. Yeah. You guys have not stopped. I'm wondering you know, how uh, the processes have changed for you and your organization because you're very much on the ground. Yes, yeah, so a lot of what we're doing is uh, uh, responding to the immediate needs. So uh, throughout the pandemic, we've been handing out uh, things like tents, tarps, ponchos, hand and feet warmers, emergency blankets, bagged lunches, uh, as um, each new case of COVID in homeless shelters actually sends them into a, a shutdown to all new clients. Uh, even if clients do want to access emergency shelters as the temperature dips, uh, they're not unfortunately able to access those shelters. So, um, for example, this past week, we've had two of our main homeless shelters shut down uh, due to COVID cases, so they were not able to accept uh, new clients. Um, this past Monday, August 31st, the temperature actually went below 6 degrees Celsius, and hypothermia starts to set in at 10 degrees Celsius. So you can imagine that um, this is becoming a safety issue. Mm -hmm. When clients are that cold, they need a place uh, to go for refuge. And it's only getting worse as winter approaches. Chaz, I'm curious as to, uh, we talked to you last, there was a lot of discussion about opening up some hotels that didn't have customers in them for the vulnerable population to give them some space to self-isolate. Did that happen at all? So currently there are three hotels that are uh, operating, um, not quite exactly as emergency shelters, more as uh, transitional housing or rapid rehousing programs. So similar Um so the one isolation hotel, and then, of course, uh, two of the emergency shelters, each one of them has a hotel where they're putting clients in um, to rapidly rehouse them uh, into housing programs or independent housing. Uh, they seem very successful. Clients, uh, I, I have a particular client in one right now, and he absolutely loves it. He loves that he can have a shower every single day. Jazz, what do you say to the average Calgarian that perhaps, you know, is not involved in the hotel industry or doesn't have big bucks or, or real estate to say, I can make a difference by donating this space for the homeless? Uh, what do you say to the average Calgarian who wants to make a difference and help out perhaps with Be the Change YYC? You know, I think that uh, we all sometimes uh, have a hard time and we all need a bit of a hand up. And individuals experiencing homelessness are just like you and me. And uh, sometimes they just need a bit of a hand up providing um, a hotel room uh, as a form of shelter allows uh, a person to maintain dignity and independence in their life and uh, a platform to launch themselves to get back into housing. A homeless person, especially these days, is not always like the picture we might have in our head. There are a lot of Calgarians really suffering through this pandemic financially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are so many people who are, if not already, very close to losing everything. So what can we do to try and help out those who need that helping hand? So there's many different homeless serving agencies um, and, and agencies throughout the city that are... Uh, trying to help those that are suffering in poverty. Um, you know, there's the food bank, the drop-in center, uh, Alpha House, and of course, Be the Change, just to list a few. So if people have monetary funds or things that they would like to donate, um, that's always a great way in order to give back. 
also we as community members, we need to, you know, reach out to our family and friends and say, hey, do you need help? And if you have family members uh, that are struggling, especially as uh, CERB comes to an end uh, in the next few weeks here, um, just be there for them. And maybe you have that extra room in your house and you have a friend or family that's been struggling. And I think that just to strengthen those community bonds and reach out and make sure that people are not falling through um, the gaps Mm-hmm. Now, I know you will take your the cash donations at bethechangeyyc.org. Uh, also, are you? I know you and your team are out there handing out, as you said, how, hand warmers, you know, even masks and stuff like that. So are you collecting those kinds of items or, or do you prefer the cash so that your team can go out and purchase what the, the homeless folks need? You know, monetary funds are, of course, always best because that frees up our budget to purchase uh, whatever we might need. But uh, in this time, for sure, hand and feet warmers, things like tents and tarps, just anything really to uh, give to clients experiencing homelessness to protect them from the elements. Of course, we don't want clients to sleep outside. We would prefer them to access programming and resources and, and housing, but that just may not be possible if uh, COVID keeps spreading around the shelter system. Well, keep doing what you do. We appreciate mm-hmm. it. Thank you so much for uh Spending some time with uh, with us this morning, Chaz. Yeah, thank you for spreading the word and uh, and uh, caring. And people can uh, do their part to help out, lend a hand if they uh, want to do so and can do so. Be the change, yyc.org. That was Chaz Smith, president and CEO with Be the Change YYC. Seven seventeen. It's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. A mix of unique single family homes, townhomes, and condos. Although we are seeing dry road conditions across the city and on the area highways, it is very windy, especially through the north part of the city. It actually grounded us. So if you're on routes like Stony Trail or Deerfoot, extra caution. You might feel a little bit of, of a tug on the vehicle this morning. Volume-wise, Deerfoot Trail still moving fine through both the northeast and southeast. Uh, Crochelle Trail, that's still a 10-minute drive southbound from Stony Trail down towards the Bow River. 16th Avenue over on the northwest end, volume-wise, is moving fine eastbound uh, from Stony Trail out towards the Foothills Hospital. Even exiting off on a Star Sea Trail, you've got a smooth drive down towards the Glenmore Highway 8 construction zone. And if you are leaving the city southwest towards the Crow's Nest Pass, we're hearing of some really high winds out that way, so extra caution if it's on your route. Tonight's Lotto 649 draws an estimated $8 million, plus the guaranteed $1 million prize. $8 million, get that Lotto 649 feeling. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. on the morning news, a new 2020 study titled The Multicultural and Newcomer Charitable Giving Study is one of the first in Canada to explore the influence of ethnicity on supporting charities. To dig into the numbers, we're joined by Bruce McDonald, President and CEO, Imagine Canada. Good morning to you, Bruce. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, Thank you for taking the time with us. Why is it the newcomers to Canada are so motivated to support charitable causes? Well, it seems first and foremost that when they come to this country, they really want to be part of this country. And when we dug a little bit deeper, deeper, we saw that uh, empathy, caring, 
um, family and religious values are really part of, of the, the composition of newcomers, and therefore they're contributing to their communities almost right away. I think it's fascinating. This is the first time a study like this has ever been done. So can you dig deeper a little bit for us on the numbers specific to Calgary and what you found? Uh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, what we found was that uh, those who are coming and residing in Calgary are, are really quite generous. They're on average, giving over $1,000 a year in donations, which is um, about $1,500 more than the national average. Mm-hmm. Um, 93% of those that we survey have either donated or volunteered in the past year. And again, these are numbers that are over-indexing compared to, to national numbers. And about 86% support charities because they think it's the right thing to do. And these, you know, these are the households, but also uh, these, uh, you know, people are coming and they're saying it's, it's time to give and they want to teach their children as well. You dug into that. Yeah, I, for me, as someone who's worked in this field for a long time, that was one of the most hopeful findings was that 74% believe it's important for today's parents to teach their children about charitable giving. And as we live in a nation where the number of people who are giving is actually been in decline for about the last 30 years, as we think about the future of generosity and the future of philanthropy, one of the hopeful signs is that it's could be rooted, that future could be rooted in in newcomers to Canada. And I love that these folks that are new to Canada, new to Calgary, they even want to do more, if at all possible, not just what they've been doing so far. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, 39%, almost 40% um, would support charities if they were asked more often. So the opportunity is still there, and about half said they'd do uh, do more for charities by volunteering more of their time. So clearly a desire... Um, to get engaged in communities. It was also interesting, though, because the study found that there was still very much a global lens. So um, people who are coming and residing in our country want to be rooted in their local community, but are still looking at what's happening around the world. Interesting numbers, and you know what? It kind of gives me hope, particularly during this time of pandemic. Thank you so much for for your time this morning, Bruce. Thanks very much, and have a great day. That is Bruce McDonald, president and CEO of Imagine Canada. Donating and your time or your money is a great idea, as is this, for Park2Go Airport Parking with Value Valet. Proudly Canadian-owned and operated, thank you for keeping your family safe at this time. It's coming up on 8.50 now. And Ward 3 Councillor Jody Gondek is joining us, talking about the need to find some diverse citizens, in fact, to fill positions on 20 boards, commissions and committees in the City of Calgary. Hi, Jody. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sue and Andrew. Well, now, there are a lot of people who have very uh, strong thoughts, let's put it that way, about things that go on within the city. So this is their chance to maybe jump on board and, and, and change things, do some good, help out, Right. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people in this city who have um, profound experiences, professional experience, and just ideas that are really well uh, communicated by being part of a board committee or commission that reports up to administration or to council. It helps us make really good decisions when we've got diversity of experience on these boards, committees, and commissions. Well, what sort of experience and, and what sort of uh, you know requirements are there? for somebody to apply for for one of these positions and and try to make a difference? That's a really good question, and it is best answered by going to calgary.ca slash boards and looking at what we're seeking in uh, the 20 different areas. There's 138 vacant positions. It's a pretty good summary of the type of skill set that's required. 
if there has been a skills matrix done for that particular committee, sometimes it will indicate that we're seeking, you know, someone with legal expertise or someone with a social work background. But more important than that is being passionate about the subject area and having the time to dedicate to really providing some informed feedback. So don't necessarily have to be a professional per se. You just have to want to get on board and help out. Absolutely. There's a a lot to say for lived experience as well. So when you've got the Advisory Committee on Accessibility and the new Action Committee that we struck on anti-racism, it's really important to get feedback from Calgarians who have, you know, been in different positions in the city and have experienced different things. We need to hear about those. Can you give us a a bit of a timeline as far as when these positions need to be filled by? What kind of a, a rush are people in here? So people have until September the 11th to apply. So there's lots of time to get your application in. Following that, what happens is um, our city clerk's team, as well as people who serve on the boards and commissions, are involved in uh, examining the applications and the resumes. And then people will get a call or an email if they've been selected for an interview. And then uh, in October, we have what's called the Organizational Meeting of Council around middle of October. And that is the day that we make the appointments based on the information we get from the selection committees. Fantastic. How many jobs did you say total looking to be filled? There's there's 138 positions available on 20 different boards, committees, and commissions. Okay. And again, that website, Jody. It is calgary.ca slash boards. Thank you very much for joining us, and hopefully you can fill those with some amazing Calgarians who will do a lot of good and, and just help keep moving this city forward. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. You betcha. That's Ward 3 Councillor Jyoti Gondek. Sue D.L. Andrew Schultz with you here on the Morning News. Thank you for joining us. Coming up a little later, just after 9 o'clock, we'll talk about remote learning and why it's going to take some new ways of thinking to get through this year. Uh, before 9 at 8.49, we'll check in with Councillor Jyoti Gondek. The city's looking to fill some vacancies on boards and committees. Maybe that's up your alley. And in just a minute, we are talking about a new show on history called Eating History, and it might just cause you to lose your appetite. Right now, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's newest and best master plan community. A bit windy through the north part of the city, so on those higher speed roads like Stony Trail and Deerfoot, you may feel a little bit of a tug on the vehicle. Extra caution heading out the door. Big delays on the Trans-Canada Highway just east of Old Banff Coach Road. There's a left lane closure for construction. The westbound backup extends all the way to Stony Trail. It's about eight minutes to get through. Deerfoot Trail still sitting at a 20-minute drive northbound from Stony Trail up towards 17th Avenue. The delays are starting around 130th Avenue. And McLeod Trail, 18 minutes northbound from Highway 22X into the downtown core. It's Subaru's fall back into adventure event. Hurry into your Subaru dealer and enjoy rates from as low as 0.5% and a lease bonus up to $1,000. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. That is the most appropriate music we've played this morning moving into this next segment. It is 8-11 on the morning news and history's new unscripted series eating history follows vintage food expert old smoky that's his name and collector josh mcuga two friends on a quest to uncover unbox and eat the oldest most nostalgic and shocking foods to have survived history with a taste of this new show we're joined by uh, joined by co-host josh mcuga good morning to you josh 
Hey, thanks for having me. Big Calgary fan. <laughs> oh, Love good. City. Awesome. And I happen to be a huge food fan, and so is... <laughs> So is Susan. Mm -hmm. uh, excited to have you on here. And uh, generally, I'd uh, have a more refined question for the starter here. But how in the heck <laughs> did this concept come to be? Oh, <laughs> uh, man. So, you know, what's crazy is there is an, an awesome culture of food collectors. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the food collectors that have made a little bit of a name for themselves on YouTube collect a lot of old military rations, which is, I think, where the inspiration came from. But a guy like me, you know, I grew up in a family of collectors. I'm from Pittsburgh. Um, and so, you know, a lot of antiques around. It's an, it's an older city, so a lot of people, it's a, it's a collecting city. A lot of people have a, a lot of crazy different collections, especially my dad, my uncles. And so while they were collecting all these old food tins or, you know, boxes of cereal, bottles of alcohol or sodas and stuff, I was always the one. They just wanted the cool thing for the shelf. I wanted to try what was inside, and it kind of was like a little bit of a perfect storm when they were pitching the idea, and, you know, they found me, and here we are. <laughs> uh, food collectors. I didn't even know that was a thing, but, you know, to follow yeah, uh, right. on, on the heels of Andrew's question, I'll ask one uh, just as, as base, I suppose. How many times did you throw up eating all this stuff, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm 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 lucky. I, I come from an Italian family, and I've been kind of the garbage disposal of the family. <laughs> if nobody else ate it, Josh would eat it. And so I've developed an, a pretty iron stomach over the years. Uh, only one, only one, like vomit-inducing experience in the show, and then uh, you know, one one like stomach-turning day. But for the most part, you know, we you know we got a toxicologist on set, and we've got um, a medic on set, so they they were pretty cautious with us although they were always upset with me because i'm always the one that kind of wants to disagree with them They're like come on it's not that bad They're like it will kill you just a little nibble <laughs> josh let's let's break down yep. some details because sue and i were discussing earlier on the program that my kids if it's if the milk carton says best before september 1st they won't be taking a sip out of it today they're uh, that that crazy and uh, so we're not talking about days old months or even a couple of years let's go back way back to some of the oldest uh, items you've sampled yeah, I mean, I always say it, uh, you know, expiration dates are simply suggestions. Guys. It's, uh, you know, smell first and then and then go for it. Um, you know, we obviously have to be careful of botulism. But, uh, you know, we had uh, some Civil War hardtack that was from the 50th anniversary of the Civil War. So, you know, like early 1900s. We had, we had 1900s, early 1900s cod liver oil, 1940s Wheaties. We run all the way up to... You know, the 1989 Batman cereal. We had first-generation can of Pringles that was great. Um, you know, I, I'm, I would love to have had some, some more Canadian snack foods and things like that because I got a good buddy from Lloyd Minster, and he, every time he comes back down, you know, to the States, he brings me some fun Canadian snacks. Crazy. So talk to us about where, yeah. where did this stuff come from? Is it just food that was in people's collections? Because I saw a little teaser of the show that we're going to see, you know, tonight premiering. And yeah. you found something in a drywalled wall that you pulled out. Did you actually eat that? What was it? Um, yeah, we uh, <laughs> that was in a bar. Uh, we found some, you know, we went to this old village, actually outside of Pittsburgh, my hometown, and uh, found some, it was an abandoned village of of houses from an old mining town and we were just digging through everything and found some old stuff from the 80s um you know we, we found some snack foods in in cabinets we found old jars of canned foods and you know depending on how it's stored and everything you're pretty much okay to really just go at it i mean foods 
especially military foods, but especially canned foods, were, were meant to last. They were put in the can and meant, and meant to last, and that's why they were cooked, especially anything freeze-dried. Uh, you know, you're usually pretty safe with anything freeze-dried. So, again, it's an adventure. Every episode, we try and tackle some really, you know, things like Oreos through the generations because, you know, they change the recipes a few, a few times. So seeing how certain things hold up. And, and the really cool thing, too, is, we're, we're showing you really fun scientific experiments of how these foods held up simply by giving you taste profiles. We have about uh, 20 seconds left, but I want to ask you this question because we could talk about what tasted disgusting. What surprised you and uh, still stood up and, and you did not mind eating uh, from the past 50 uh, to 100 years? That, that, that first-generation can of Pringles that was delicious, still held up absolutely perfect. <laughs> and how old would that have been? 1976. What, what does that tell you about what's in that baby? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. It sounds like a really fun show, and we'll check it out on History Launches tonight. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll be watching Thank for you. you. That's uh, Josh McCuga. Right. He is one of the co-hosts of Eating History. It's on History Channel. It launches tonight, history.ca, teaching you some science, teaching you some history, and teaching you not to open old food and, and eat them. And he did say try it it's kind of a, the best before dates are kind of a loose guidelines slash suggestion. <laughs> Tell I, your kids. And I would try those Pringles. Oh, I would try that. Gross. Right now, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy established amenities, recreation facilities, and the leading school districts. Looks like your major routes are starting to wind down. We were seeing some pretty heavy delays on southbound Deerfoot between Airport Trail and McKnight Boulevard. Uh, it is starting to ease. We're back to about an 11-12 minute drive from the QE2 down towards Memorial. A northbound lane still pretty busy between Barlow Trail and Southland Drive. Leaving Strathcona, Springbank Hill, we're seeing some southbound delays on 69th Street heading down to Highway 8 or Glenmore Trail. So you want to add about five minutes to your drive there. And leaving the city, big delays on the Trans-Canada Highway through the northwest. There is construction just east of Old Banff Coach Road, left lane closures in both directions until 3.30 this afternoon. And the westbound backup extends to Stony Trail. It's about 10 minutes now to get through. Calgary moved to TELUS and get 227% faster download speeds than Shaw's Freedom Network based on open signal independent analysis. Visit telus.com network. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard.